TYA Talks, the podcast. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of TTYA Talks with me, Irene TTYA. Um, I started this platform as a way to be able to connect successful women who are working across the creative industries and sports. So you know every week we need to be focused and my guest today, I'm super excited because not only do we have a really strong friendship, but she's going to, she's going to, she's going to bring the gist guys. She's going to, she's going to really, really, she's really, really, really going to expose the gist for us today. She was, you know, the manager behind Skepta's Mercury Prize um, winning campaign. Her work in the music industry was recognised with an MBE. I'm going to give her her accolade for outstanding contributions to music. Um, she's been an undeniable asset to brands, artists and youth culture for the past decade. Like I said at the beginning, our friendship runs so deep and I'm really excited to welcome my incredible and super talented friend, Grace Ladoja, MBE. Hello, my dear. <laughs> I'm as honoured and gassed to be here as you are. Like, trust me, like, there's very few people that I can talk to in such an open and free way and, like, as I said to you before, I've avoided doing interviews, I've avoided doing podcasts because often what you say is taken out of context. And, you know, if I'm going to do something and I'm going to be real and honest and really give you the receipts and all of that, I need to do it with someone that I trust and I love. And I can't tell you how proud I am of you. I'm so grateful for you to put me on this platform to talk to you and like have an incredible conversation I can't wait, sis. Um, thank you so much for giving me your time, honestly. So let's start at the beginning because we're going to give people some of the back history because when they see us, they see gist. So let's give them the back history. Talk to us about your family heritage, where you grew up, your school, your education, what you studied and how you kind of got started in the industry. I was a love child, basically. My mum and dad had me kind of, they were both in different relationships and then like they had this long history of, liking each other and I was conceived and when I was conceived my dad didn't want my mum to have me because it was really dramatic and there was a lot of drama around it and I understand I can now I can understand that decision because my mum had already had three children from previous marriages so she was in a good place she didn't need to have another child like that you know so you know but I also know my mother and I think that her being told what to do would throw her to, off to do the absolute opposite. So, <laughs> uprooted her whole life in Nigeria to come to England to have me. She had me, you know, as an asylum seeker, like going through that, that route of starting her journey in the UK. And, and it was really, really hard for her because she had obviously had two other children that she had to leave behind. She could only bring her youngest child. And that's kind of an, an inherent guilt I've had my whole life because I've been like, ah. She left her two kids to have me here and that must have been a decision no mother would have wanted to make. But I am grateful for that because she always made me feel special in my journey. Like I always felt like I was a special child. I was wanted and I always knew that. And that's a beautiful thing to have as a child. Anyway, she remarried. I had like eight step siblings. So it was me, my older sister, Mary and Moses from my mum's side. And then these eight step siblings in this tiny house in north london like causing chaos like four people in a room like it was quite dramatic but i feel like it built a lot of character for me like i i was almost a i was definitely like a bit of a loner but i was always surrounded by people and i could always like know how to talk to people and like 
kind of finesse my way around this environment. So it's really, really important having that kind of in, environment and that support for your siblings. And it was like a pack of people, you know. So after that, I kind of went to Highbyfields Girls School. Um, it was like a state school, but it was really amazing because it was obviously in in between like the poor and the rich side of North London. So there was a real amazing mix of people there. There was like, you know, upper middle class people and like really like, you know, benefits people, which was me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, but it was great to have that because I think that, that helped breed who I was. Like I had a I was surrounded by lots of different types of people and I was incredibly intelligent at school. Like I did my math GCSEs early. I was like really like excelling and my deputy head teacher had a vested interest in me doing well. He was really Mr. Matt Williams that owed everything to him. He had my back in school. He refused to let me get suspended. He refused to let me get excluded. Do you know what I mean? You, know, you have that mm -hmm. one teacher that wants you to win because he sees your potential. Actually, he put me in a, as a punishment, he put me through a summer school program at uh, Chelsea College of Art when I was 14. So I had to go there for the whole summer, live there, do like this course, but it, it exposed me to like a whole world I didn't know about. Like, so I was like, you know, that's how I learned about the Smiths, the band. I had like different roommates. It was just really good to be around other people. And like, that's why I feel like my references are quite rich because I've been around so many different types of people and I've been like really embracing of different cultures. So having said all that, I went to a high before school and then I went to sit in his own college. I passed all A stars to C's and I went to college and it was really sick because it was uh, a mix, the first time being in a mixed environment because I went to all girls school and it was just like good to just have a, like a more like real black energy around you. Do you know what I mean? Like, it yeah, was like sick. really have that vibe of like getting like being able to like you know that was the de the heel and toe days and like do you know what I mean all of those <laughs> so it was it was really amazing and the crazy thing is the day that I started college my we got kicked out of my house like my mum was not great at finances like so she was always like not great at managing money she tried her best I will give her that she's raised us in an incredible way but she was not a strong suit so and she wouldn't share her problems so it would always be at the, the last resort like mm. okay now someone's come to lock our door and now we have to move into like you know that hotel you put into temporary accommodation you're in the sure. hotel from a hotel to like another house and that was like probably the third time that had happened and at that point I was like you know what I'm never ever letting this happen to me again I had my first job so I was working at JD Sports and I was like I'm going to save and buy this woman a house that gave me such a determination to stop that cycle for me and my life and my, my family life. So it kind of like gave me so much drive. That was one of my driving forces. This will never happen again. And I want to support my mother because she's doing so good. So that was like a, 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 a kind of way that I propelled into another space. That's when I was like, I'm going to go to, I'm going to finish college. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to go to university. Yeah, I'm going to study psychology and sociology at Brunel I actually just did the foundation there and then I was like no what that's not right for me in terms of long-term education I want to go into film I really want to get into film I want to become a filmmaker I want to work on kind of documentaries that are about things that I like things that I know people that are important to me like rather than like you know there was no real narratives about things that happened in subculturally and I wanted to be part of that and I made those decisions based on that, but I also knew that I wanted to make money. I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to make money. 
I'm going to go far. I was really, really confident. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I got to do this. I was like, push, push, push. And, and that's, I think that's like part of our Nigerian heritage. We're like, you're going to push through. You're going to make it happen. It's possible. And not having any limits. I was not limited by anything. I was like, sky's my limit. I'd never traveled. I got my passport when I was 18. I applied for, for myself. I went to New York by myself because I was obsessed with like certain films like kids and these subcultures. And I just did it. I was just like, I'm going to go and do what I think is best. And, and I think that, yeah, it was a huge driving force for me in those early years. And it kind of like took me to my next steps for sure. So you talked about kind of like studying film. Mm. What was the kind of... From that, from that gap, how did you kind of get into deciding what, okay, what industry do I want to get into and how am I going to start my kind of career process of my journey? Definitely important question. I'm going to link it back again to like uh, community because the first time I kind of knew what I really liked was when I was in, um, to Heartless Crew were doing a community service in North London. They must have done something. I don't know what crime they did. <laughs> I was like about 14 or 15 and I heard about it and I was like, I'm going to go. And me and my two best friends at school, Jazz and Claire, we all went. And we was like, sit. We learned how to this called scratching and mixing. So we learned how to DJ. Then they were like, why don't you try MCing? So we were like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to MC. Like, it was sick. It was an amazing, creative time. And I think that it was, we went, we did Mobo Unsung. We won. We got to the final. Do you know what I mean? The regional final. It was all, you know, like so important, that music side from that age. And when I'm, kind of progressed out of school and college and got my first job at Crooked Tongues, that was like pre-Hypebeast, you know, like, you know, like Hypebeast didn't exist. It was all about streetwear and sneaker culture, but it was coming from like the more authentic side. So, you know, I, like at that time it was like, I was around Palace, so really early Palace. There was no like streetwear stores other than like Fake and Billionaire's Boys Club and Soho. Like there was a community around that kind of streetwear music, all of that. And I was really keen to be part of it. So when my job at Crooked Tongues allowed me to do that. And there was like this store called Bond International where everyone used to hang out and like really like connect. And so many people that I know now, like Rada, who's one of my biggest mentors, inspirations, she was working at Carhartt. Like there were so many people around and you'd always connect. And it was a sick time to be in London. Um, but that made me really realize that I could start filming this scene. I could start filming these people. I could start filming and uh, amplifying these voices. And uh, at that time, uh, A-Side, who was a uh, like energy marketing manager at Nike, was like, you want to make this documentary for us? We're making a documentary about London. Do you want to make it? And I just started film school. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to make this documentary. I'm going to put like all these people in there. I'm going to make these stories. And, and it was just really a, a key moment for me where I knew that you can make brands pay for for your vision like I was like you could those things are connected I, I don't need to pay for it myself I'm going to get paid to make it and it can be platformed bigger than I could have imagined and I and I and I took that as a key learning I was about 18 19 at the time so I was like cool so I went for did the documentary learned so much delivered it late got in trouble almost put ASA's job at risk but that was because I was inexperienced and I appreciated the opportunity but it gave me the best advice ever that I'll never forget which was never ever assume anything in life ask the questions always ask everything the budget the deadline the delivery never assume <laughs> so I was like okay cool noted I'll never do that again 
And from that, I went finished film school. And then me and my friend Jordan Stokes, um, we started a company called Ladojo and Sons. And he called it Ladojo and Sons. I hated that name, but he was like, you've got all these guys around you that kind of, you know, help you. Like my editor, da da da, had all these kind of non conventional sons. And it was so important for me because I feel like at that point, that was the first time as a woman, I was a boss. Do you know what I mean? I was a boss mm. in the industry that was really male um, orientated. And, I was the owner of that company that it was in my name and I don't looking back on it, I was quite a powerful moment. And at that point we knew that we could focus on telling these authentic stories that we want to tell, but we could partner with brands to make them happen. And obviously I was working with like a lot of the young designers and like cassette player, Zia, you know, I did FKA Twigs' first EP, like before anyone knew her, like it was really early stages. And, and that was an important way for us to, launch through our authenticity and then we used the brands to tell other stories so i did like vans this huge campaign and like profiled and promoted loads of voices globally i was working with all the brands nike you know converse levi's to always tell these authentic stories and that's kind of was so important in my i say like 18 to 22 23 you know, growth, it was like, wow, there is money here to make things that are important. And it was a key learning for me. And, 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 I, and I really appreciated that time with Jordan. Jordan, as you know, passed away, you know, and, and it's like, it's just shows you how important people are in your life and you have to appreciate them when they're there. Without Jordan, there'd be no me, 100%. Mm. We had to go to Russia the most racist country in the world, and he was fighting for me. He was fighting people for me. Every injustice, like, he was a champion of the people, and he gave me the best advice ever, and that was, like, you make your own luck. Nothing is, you make your own luck. If you want it to happen, it will happen for you. So you have to plant the seeds, and I took that and run with that. So I guess that was my start in that industry. Mm. And I got a job with Supreme when Supreme was, opening in the UK in London specifically that was just that was over 10 years ago I was like one of their consultants at that time I was working with them on like telling us the UK side of the story and making sure that there was a connection here in the UK on every level and that's actually how I met Skepta. Yeah, I do remember that because also I just wanted to touch upon when you started La Doja and Sons, basically I used to be in Grace's office all the time because Grace used to be like, come to the office, we've got so much space, come hang out, let's just hang out, there's a desk for you with your name on it. And when I first started TTYA, so Jordan, who Grace speaks about, is a really dear friend of ours. And when I first started TTYA, I remember Jordan always saying to me, when are you going to do TTYA men's? Because Jordan was like six foot tall and was slim, but he was like one of the first people that was like, I understand your vision for your brand, I mean, like, I really understand it, like, you've got to do it, and true to what you said is, like, he always, like, made you have no limit in thoughts, like, he would always be like, you know, you can do it, this makes so much sense, he'll try on samples in the office for me, like, we've got some sick pictures of him trying on, like, samples in the office, and, you know, even though he's not with us, um, physically now like his spirit still stays with us in the sense of just like that mentality that you said of just like knowing that we can't have limited thoughts like anything that we want to do we can put our minds to it and we can achieve it so 
kind of going back to the sceptre, because that was kind of be, going to be my next um, kind of question, was that, you know, obviously from sceptre to supreme, from Nike to Fenty, like, you've kind of really forged incredible relationships over the years between artists and brands. Tell us a bit more about how you guys, how you and sceptre kind of linked up and how that kind of forged into a working relationship, because initially, I think we do, we're going to get into it a little bit later, but we really want to kind of engage in how, you know, you can have a friendship, but also that can work in a business element as well. 100%. And it's so amazing the way I met Skeppy because it was totally like unexpected. It was not part of my plan. And again, like sometimes you might be thinking you're going in one direction, something might be put in front of you and you can make a decision of whether you're going to take the leap of faith and risk and go for it or not. And like, I'm so happy that I met Skeppy. I met him in like 2014. I was actually at a Danny Brown show with Carrie. Um, Carrie Munden of Cassette Player and you know Skep was there and he was like hiding behind this pole in the show and I was like what is this guy doing because obviously I knew who he was but I didn't know him like that so I was like Carrie what is he doing and she asked him and he was saying he didn't want anyone to see him distract them from the Danny Brown show he just wanted everyone to focus on Danny Brown as soon as they see Skeppy they might be like Skep da 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 and he's like that would be so disrespectful I was like rah that's your values okay I fuck with that that is a good thing to have as an artist most of them want to be seen or want to be like you know on the side of stage visible and I was like that's brilliant and the crazy thing Irene is this is why I really believe in like divine timing and divine intervention is that week I was programming a show for Supreme and it was for uh, the launch of their film Cherry and you know it was really like we're going to do a screening and we're going to have a party and Mob Deep were, we booked Mob Deep and Mob Deep had them into the UK for like 20 years or something they've been banned all of this stuff and I was like, I really want to have a UK presence here. And you know what Supreme's like as a brand? They're like, they don't really go out of the mold. You know, they've got, we've got a strong story. Let's stick with it. And I was like, we have to have a UK presence. And it was like, I, had, I was on deadline to find that person. And I was thinking so much. Then I saw him and then I was like, wow. I think I even asked you or Carrie the next day for his number. Because I was like, yeah. I want to meet him. And, I, and I, you know me, I'm like, I'm all like, just, that's what I'm saying, the confidence. Who knows where it comes from? Because I was like, yeah. I want to meet him tomorrow. So we, like, we, we planned to meet and we met in Soho just by the store. And I remember he was a bit late. He was like an hour, hour late. And I was fuming because I was like, rah, like, this is long. I hate waiting. Do you know what I mean? And I remember when he came, I was like, look, I waited to tell him that I was going to leave. <laughs> basically I was like look like my time is really valuable like you can just communicate like tell me if you're going to be late and I think that that actually set the tone for our friendship it was like really transparent and real from the beginning it was like okay he, he was like probably like rah like this girl's just what how's she going to invite me somewhere and then tell me about myself you know and um, in, in terms of something that's important to me and I think Skep will always know that, that was, that's important to me now uh, so anyway, we got past that and then we just spent the day like driving around and just talking and he was telling me his vision, he was just left his, you know, the music industry side of his, his life and it wasn't working, he wanted to be back being fully independent, he wanted to travel, he wanted to do a lot of like the cultural things that I knew that I want to find myself in every country I go to, I want to be, you know, like connected to people globally and I was like, wow, this is amazing because I've spent my whole life doing that, I feel like I've found like communities in everywhere I've traveled. I've got someone everywhere. And I was like, okay, cool. Is that I'm trying to go next New York next week. I was like, cool, you do this party for me. <laughs> I'm going to hook you up with everyone. Like, let's go. Like, 
I'm gonna like connect you with like my friend that does no wave, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. Just as, as you are when you're young and you're given. And I think that, that again, like a lot of things come from authenticity. I didn't want anything from him. I was just like, I want you to win. I want you to connect, I want you to do your thing. So we spent like the first kind of, I'd say like six months of our friendships, just developing our friendship and like talking. My mum had just passed, I'll talk about that later. And I was in a bit of like a weird space in general. And he was like really open to like my suggestions, what I was saying. So I felt like I'd done all this work and there was someone that was appreciating what I'd done. Do you know what I mean? And like the connections I'd made. And I think that that's what kind of brought us really close. And, and um, I remember it so clearly on Christmas Eve, we met just in his car and he was like, look, you know, like, and I, I can't imagine Skip ever asks or says anything like, but it was just like, look, you know, let's try and do this together. Let's try to, you know, we want to, we want to do something really unique here. We want to push our culture. We want to push this like forward. We want people to accept us as we are. It was really about authenticity, DIY, you know, like ownership. And I was like, cool. He was like, let's do that together. And I, and I, and I was like, raw. like actually I would have done that even without it being formal, but let's do it formally. And I was like, okay, cool. hundred percent I'm in. Like it was like, the day before Christmas, and I remember my our friend, me and your mutual friend Rada. I did not seen Rada in ages, but I bumped into her at a party a few weeks earlier, and I was like, we should catch up. And then I was like, I need someone else to work on this. I have no idea about the music industry, and I'm not going to get into an industry where I know nothing and put his whole journey at risk without having the backup. Do you know what I mean? So I was mm-hmm. like, Rada knows, like, Rada's like an encyclopedia of the music industry. So she knows every single thing about it. She knows every rule. Like, I'm going to ask her to work on this with me. Like, I need someone else. And, and that was another leap of faith. Faith, I'd never worked with Rada. But I knew that she was the one that made the most sense for our journey at that point. And obviously, Sam BBK was also BBK's manager, like, base. So Sam was always going to be part of, like, the music side of this and everything so it was like we kind of made a team together for Skep at that time but I was clear about what my role was I'm not that these people they're great at that you know everyone should be great at their pillar in this journey and then we can all progress forward and I think that again it was a really uh pure time of like real collaboration and real friendship and taking things to the next level and I think that luckily for me, it worked out, but I also have had situations where it hasn't, you know, so mm. we'll talk about that later. But for Skep, like he gave me the biggest platform I could ever imagine. He took a leap of faith on me. Like he pushed me. He was like, you got this. He, he, he had my back in a way that like no one really ever has, you know, and I think that that's why we'll always be friends, no matter what we're friends first. Like, mm. business, business, but that's my brother. We could, we've, had, we've had disagreements. We've had things happen. But we're still, it's like family. It's like we've got to get through and we've still got to talk. Tomorrow we've still, still got to talk about something else or do something else. So can't really hold those grudges and it just makes you grow up. you just got to grow up. Like working in this, in this way where you really feel like you've got a purpose and you, you've got something you're trying to do that's bigger than you, 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 you feel around the bullshit. You just forget about like all of that. These, this is petty. That's why... We'll talk about it again and other things to talk about, mm. but that's why I can't let people stop my progress because mm. as soon as I do that, I will be limiting what I'm supposed to be doing. So you have to like build this tolerance to working in this way where you have a tunnel vision for focus. But obviously I'm a God-fearing person. I'm never ever going to 
step on someone or do anything outside of, do you know what I mean, in any negative mm. place. But ultimately, you will be put, once you put yourself out there, you, will, you can be criticized. I, I lost a lot of friends when I started working with Skep. People didn't want me to win. They were like, wow, why are you working in music? Skep, oh, is it, what's he doing? Oh, it was really like that. I was like, right, okay. At least I know where you are in this, in this situation. Okay, cool. You're over there. I need, to, I need to make sure that I'm surrounded by people that want me to win. Like, I can't. These people don't want me. They, they want to see me as they saw me. Like, little Grace, doing your little thing. But once you work with someone that is in the spotlight, it becomes something else. You'll see people change. You'll see people show their real colours. Frenemies, frenemies, frenemies. So the difference between a friendship that was growing in a, such a pure way with the old friends that almost didn't want you to win was a huge, hugely challenging thing for me on a personal level. It was tough. You just like, rah, okay, I'm on my own, but I've learned a lot about iso- isolation and solitude. So I'm quite strong in that space. But yeah, it was tough, as I'm not going to lie. Something I wrote down today, actually, because, you know, Grace invited me to her church, but we'll get onto that a little bit later, is isolation equals promotion. That's Uh what I wrote down today. So sometimes even when you feel isolated, there's a reason why you're feeling isolated, because there's certain things that you need to you need to learn from that situation for you to be able to enter into the next chapter. Something that I really wanted to touch upon, which I which which you just mentioned, which I think is really important, was kind of knowing your strength points. You talked about kind of connecting with Radar, linking up with Sam and you guys kind of forming this kind of essentially like Skep's key selling point for his whole team the structure of his team um and I I do feel like within some of the the lessons that I've learned within business is actually knowing your strong points and knowing what you're good at and what you're not good in and good at and also pulling in the right people to actually form that framework talk to us a little bit about um, about behind the scenes of the kind of whole Konnichiwa campaign with that kind of mainframe that you've discussed with you Radha and Sam and a little bit what kind of lessons did you learn and what advice would you kind of give um, to any young people who are thinking about getting into artist management that's a really good question because I actually have never thought about it in that way. But for us, straight up, it was not about Kanuchiwa, the album. It was about like creating a new blueprint in music. It was about like creating a new blueprint around like being independent and owning your music, appreciating and amplifying your culture, like UK culture. That's our attitude. That's what we wear. This is how we talk. This is what we do. Let's travel the world and be us. And they're going to have to accept our music and us as we are, and I think that the UK births some of the best genres in the world, like from Garage, Funky House, Grime, House, Drill, like we have the best music in the world, but sometimes it's not appreciated globally. Do you know what I mean? It just becomes like a UK thing. And I think for Skepper, it was really important that he could like push that Grime sound to the world and be just what it is. You don't have to make an American sounding song. You don't have to do it like that. This is the way that you can do it. And you can also own your music in that. And you can also like connect with people globally that love and appreciate that. So to us, it was more like that cultural story of, you know, creating that blueprint, you know, like of the pillars that I discussed. And I think that for me at that time, like, you know, the UK culture, like I shot shut down as a, as a, as a music video, imagine that. So to me, that was his biggest song at that time. It had to, it had to reflect everything he was saying. It had to be about UK style. UK people, Mabel's in it, for Mabel to Leah Abbott, the stylist. Do you know what I mean? Like people that are part of our universe, you know, has to be about Air Maxes and tracksuits. 
has to be about our sovereign, has to be about our dog, has to be about our card, has to be about all those things, but also not things that are universal in all the communities of the UK. Do you know what I mean? And I think that mm-hmm. that's a great example of that we were able to show that communication. To me, it was like I was living a real life film. I was in a film and me studying film had helped me build Skepta's story. This was a story we were building around the clothes. It was not just an album. It was like, here's our story. This is who we are. Drizzy, you down? Let's go. Do you know what I mean? Pigal, Virgil, whoever was in our, in our peripheral vision, let's go on a UK thing, not on your thing, on our thing. Do you know what I mean? You want to be, you think that's funny that we say, you get me or whatever, let's say it in our own way, in our own songs, and you be on our things. And I, and I think that that was really, really key for me at that time. It was like, if you're creating a new blueprint in music, how can you, and this is what I think my biggest failure has been, we're going to talk about that, was not almost translating that for other people to follow. There was no authoritative way. Sometimes when you're in the moment, you're just building in it. But I didn't manage to like encapsulate it in a way that a young manager or a young artist could just see what we actually did. I know what we did because we were living it. But from the outside, without it being explained, how could you follow those steps? And that's what my whole mission is now. Like I'm going to 100% focus on that. It's so important to be transparent with what happened, how things happened you know, like so, so that people can learn and build their own blueprints and their own stories. And, and that's a key learning for me, like now, like we have to own it and encourage the next gen to take that, you know, the same pillars and values and be able to do their own version of it. But for young people getting into management, I'll say that there's some really key things. One is that you really have to want to manage artists. It's not easy and it looks gisty and it looks great, but it is tough. You are responsible for every decision about that artist and you really have to be able to step up to that because there's so many ways you can work with artists. You could be the creative director, you could be an A&R. Like, are you sure you want to take that step being everything? Because it's, it's not easy. You are in the background. You are, it's not about you. Luckily for me, I had my own profile before. So yeah, I can cross over, but it's really, you have to put the artist first in every decision you make. So you have to want and love to do that. That's number one. Second thing, spend as much time with the artist as possible. You should know every single thing about them. You should know their A to Z. You should know every brand they like. So if an endorsement comes through, you know why you're going to choose Rolls Royce over Fiat Punto. What is our narrative? Like, I remember when we were, I can tell you this from example, is that Rolls Royce were talking to us for a long time, but during our Kanuchiwa stage, we couldn't talk about Rolls Royce because we'd put everything in the bin. It was all about like underground DIY. So Skep coming out of a Rolls Royce campaign doesn't make sense at that time. But I knew that he did love Rolls Royce. So we just never did anything with a car until the right moment comes across. You know, like, so it's so important to know your artists. You are talking about them every day to every single person. You should know them inside out and spend that time talking and understanding them. And I think a lot of managers don't actually do that. And I think it's so key because it fast tracks you. You don't have to say, wait, let me ask. You know, any, ask me any question about Skep, I can answer it. We know each other inside out. Third thing would be like, build your team. Your team is everything. And to me, there are three key people in an artist's team. One is the manager. Second is the lawyer. Your lawyer is going to make every single deal for you and your artist. Your lawyer is so key 
to understand what you want to do and where you're trying to go. Because they can, those deals come in as a starting point for a conversation. Your lawyer can then shape it to the deal that makes sense for you, obviously with a bit of compromise, but they know who you are. Your lawyer is key. It's the biggest investment and most important investment you can make to your team. The third one is your accountant. Your accountant should be your best friend. And I'm talking about the accountant for your artist. You might have the same accountant, whatever, however it works. They're so key because that person is responsible for your cash flow. Your, every single thing that makes your business, because Skepta is a business, he's not, he's not an artist, he's a business. It needs to run seamlessly. Your, uh, the, the accountant talks to the lawyer, the lawyer talks to the deal. You know, we know how we're managing our cash flow. We get an endorsement. No, the accountant might say, no, we need 50% upfront, not 25%. We want 50 because it's going to last X amount of time. All of those people have to talk to each other for your business to work seamlessly. In this new day, I would also say that if you don't have it as a manager, uh, you need like a marketing strategist or someone that understands that can bring the artist to life all the time in all those conversations because that's where a lot, a lot of artists fall short. They don't have someone that can strategize from them, for them on the inside out. And because a lot of people are in deals, that person at the label is, you're one of multiple people for them. You need your own person that's always going to push through your own message at all time. Fourth thing I'd say is like understand what your role is as in the management team. Or if you, you know, some people have multiple managers, whatever, that's build the team how it works for you, but understand your, what your role and your strength is. It might be A&R, it might be creative, it might be business, but understand your strength, own your strength and build and bring people in that don't, you know, that have the bits that you're missing. That's what my key thing is. Anyone that is missing a skill that I have is in my team somewhere, you know, and need to be strong all around. And I think that the, the final thing I'd say is that just make sure you remember that it's business. So even your management contract, make sure you have one. Make sure you know, you know, make sure you protect yourself. Make sure you make sure you're, you're growing your own business as well as your artist business because an artist can you can be interchangeable as a manager to an artist do you know what i mean so make sure you're building your own business and your own side of it as well and just like most importantly enjoy it because you're going to spend i say like at least 60 percent of your day talking about someone else <laughs> so many gems there man me i should even be focusing on taking the notes myself man let me let me be building my team let me be building my strong team but um Going, touching upon you saying that kind of having your own business simultaneously to managing your artists. So I know you obviously started, co well, you co-founded Metallic Inc. three years oh. ago. What is Metallic? Give the people the info. Wh who makes up your team? And what advice can you kind of um, give to the importance? You've touched on it already, but kind of the importance of building a strong team and how you've kind of navigated through that with Metallic. Yeah. Okay. So Metallic, I started in... 2017 because we were working with Skep and we had so many projects that were happening and there was no one to facilitate them like we didn't have a creative strategist we never owned design team didn't have like you know a project manager and I was like if we're independent because we're fully independent and that is great on so many levels but it comes with a lot of work it's mm. impossible to do it well without a team so you have to build a team and I was like I want to build a company because I do a lot of brand stuff anyway Mm -hmm. Let me work with someone that is an expert in, brown, in brands and Alex Sosa, who was the head of energy marketing for uh, Nike in France and also a friend of mine. He was about to transition. He wanted to leave Nike and do something else. And 
it just came about at the perfect time. So I was like, let's start a company, like working with brands, but also working with artists to do all of their partnerships almost. That's how the company was formed. The crazy thing, Irene, is that I wrote a business plan in 2016 that I just, that I just reopened like last year, which I worked, wrote with our other friend, Gary Warnett, who literally wrote the business plan of where we are going to go now. I had all the ambition at that time. Whoa, I was cheerleading, but it was, an, it, it was a long-term plan. Where I'm going to go now is there, and it's another thing. It's like, it's not going to be perfect at the start. Like, you have to just start. Just start, and then it's going to figure itself out. Now, I, I grew from it being me and, me and Alex and T, three people, to having 12 full-time employees, which is not bad. It's a good start, you know. It's a really good start, and I think that, you know, we have different people in different roles, like T, uh, T Tomova, she's our head of production, she says every single thing that is produced for us. We have Del, who's like our project director, he understands every, you know, like, you know when you want to look good on paper, you need somebody that's going to deliver that. Obviously, Alex does all the creative direction, Manu does all the art direction. We have a team of people that are just like-minded, love and passionate about the work they're creating and want to work on these projects. And I think that that's another thing. It's not, it's more than a job. Every single person that works with us, like, and I laugh all the time because half my team knows so much about Nigeria because it's important to us as a company. But if they didn't like Nigeria, then it's not going to be the right place for them to work. So we're lucky that we've been able to kind of hand pick and headhunt these, the correct people in our team. But your team is everything. If I'm sick, my company's still going. If I'm off on a plane tomorrow, things are still happening. And you have to be able to like take yourself away from being the only decision maker and allow your team to flourish. And I'm so proud of what we've built and I'm excited for our future. So what are some of the, your favourite projects that you've worked on? Oh, so many. I think my most important, the best was Skepta's Ali Pali show because we had partnered. We, wanted to, we had a, a huge ambition to do this show and it was going to cost a lot of money. And then Apple had just launched like its Beats One platform and everything. So we partnered with them to do the, their first live stream. And they were able to support the production of the show. And that show, we got, I got, we got to work with like my favorite lighting designer, Tobias Randler, like such an amazing team that we just wouldn't have been able to fund ourselves and partner to explode that to the world in an important part of our journey. That was Skep's first big headline show. But everyone was tuned in. That was at a time where it was still new to a stream everywhere. So it was like millions of people across the world were tuned in and our timing with Apple was so important because it was a priority project and that was a key one. But I've loved like so many things that I think that we worked with Levi's on creating a community space in Meridian Walk where Skep's from, but I'm also from North London. So that's so important to us. We worked with, I've worked with Fenty and, and working with someone like Rihanna is so important because the values align. Like to me, Rihanna is like the perfect artist, the perfect pop star. I believe in her more than the music like I, I stand by her she her humbleness everything she stands for is important so anything that we can do together it's going to be 100% authentic and of course my most favorite and exciting one was the Nike Niger stuff because I feel like we worked on the Nigeria campaign to authenticate the story but not make it something that is like a throwback or it's, it's contemporary it's so important to talk about the narrative right now and be part of that and obviously I worked on the first jersey 
on the marketing side, but on the second and the third ones that are coming, I've worked on on a design level, I've worked on it 360. So I'm super, super excited with those because it allows us to platform people that maybe are not in the spotlight. And I think that's what I love about my job most, like platforming people, you know, like giving people the best people the opportunity, like encouraging and promoting greatness. And I think that it's really, you know, not everyone thinks like that. That's why when we talk a lot about the black narrative not everyone's going to be that so just having a black person in your team does not mean that they're going to do everything you think that they are expected to do and then they don't have to but there are going to be some people that do care and i feel like i do fit into that category i'm, I'm just going to just give you some accolades there because obviously that nigerian jersey i think it, to this day i think is nike's fastest selling football jersey ever um i believe it sold out in three minutes globally and um i just think and that was even going to take me on to my the next section because i really wanted to talk about lagos obviously lagos is very important to both of us we're going to share some stories here we're going to give the gist but like what kind of urged you to kind of return home to lagos initially and really start this kind of bi-coastal cultural campaign because i think it's important i think a lot of people kind of just saw us land in lagos um and then kind of exploding it and i'm going to be honest i think a lot of us are responsible for this kind of you know return to home thing that's happening at the moment because we kind of gave it i think both of us were receiving a lot of messages like oh like oh my god lagos looks so lit it looks amazing because obviously the narrative of you know africa as a continent was you know the oxfam adverts with flies and homelessness and poverty so i think even just utilizing our platforms we were able to kind of really show it in a real positive light talk to us about when you kind of first started going back to Lagos and what that kind of journey was like so Lagos is a really important part of my journey because actually I didn't touch on it before is that I didn't grow up with my dad but my dad actually has 18 children and I'm one of 18 of his children and I met him when I was 18 in London I found out that I had like about six siblings that were one year apart from me so we formed a little pack and like they they lived they grew up in Nigeria had completely parallel lives they grew up in Nigeria came to school here went back and I was able to grow with them from like 18 to like 25 just understanding that crossover my mum never wanted to go back to Nigeria she was traumatized she didn't want to go back she we had a family there and everything and when she passed in 2011 everything just like stopped for me. I was like, wow, first of all, I have a whole family in Nigeria that I speak to on the phone every week, but who's looking after them, out for them now? That was one of my key concerns, like, whoa, like they always see the person in the UK as a provider, right? So my mum had gone and, 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 and that was a key thing. I was like, wow, I need to meet my grandma, I need to do all of that. But also at that time I was really lost and I was really low. I was so low because I was like, I lost the most important person in my life. I didn't realize that I hadn't figured out what my purpose was at that point. There's so many levels to it. Like I'd never, I'd always had someone to count on with me and my mum forever. We did things together. So when that gets wiped out, you kind of have to like spend a lot of time in solitude. And I think I spent about six months where I didn't leave the house. Like I just was by myself. I was like, telling people like, yeah, I'm fine. I was like, I'm working, whatever, just key words. Yes, you were telling everybody you was fine. <laughs> but I needed that time to like, almost like just start again, like build my own character. Who are you? 
who are you without anyone else? And I'm teary-eyed, but this is also really positive. Like, who is Grace the character and why do you exist? What's your purpose? What do you want to do? What do you care about? And those conversations led me to like being like, okay, cool. And again, divine intervention. I was asked by the British Council to go to Nigeria, actually prior to my mum passing. So I was like, do you know what? Let me message them back and say, yes, let me go. Because that gives me my own start to my narrative there. And I can go without it being like, I have to, I'm going on this family exploring thing. I just want to touch down and see how I feel. And it, and it allowed me to enter in a way that was really amazing. So I went and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go and just workshop for one day. Then I'm going to go and find my grandma. I'm going to find all these people. But as soon as I touched down Irene, I knew I was home. I knew I was home. I, I don't know how else to describe that feeling. That's why I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to be home. And that's why there's a the conversation about around Africa, the narrative and people in the diaspora versus people at home is so important because I felt home, you know, I'd been taken away from home. And when I came back, I felt like home, but it also gave me my purpose to fulfill. My mother moved here to the UK for me to get an education, to restart her life so I could go back and fulfill something. And I, at that moment, I was like, my purpose is here. I'm at home. What am I going to do here? Do you know what I mean? Like, how am I going to do what I believe here? And it, it, it was such a pivotal moment. And this was prior to working with Skep and all of that. I was visiting Nigeria maybe two to three times a year, like going, seeing my family, staying on the mainland most of the time, never in VI. Like it was really, you know, connecting. I met my grandmother. I met all of, all of these people that nourished me and reminded me of that I'm special and that I'm important and that I could do something great because I've had the best of kind of like both worlds almost. Like I was privileged enough to have an education. I was privileged enough to live in, a, in the UK to do stuff. Anyway, back to your question. It became the key to everything for me. So when I started working with Skep, I knew that we had to build a narrative around us. We're both Nigerians. That's why we get on probably so well. It's seamless. I know what his auntie Adenuga was saying when she's phoning me. I know how to deal with all of that. I know how to like, you know, do shows that he was getting. When we first started working together, he was getting some shows and we're like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And they were never working out great. There was always some error or it was taking so long. And I remember that me, Skep, Wizkid and Greatness Dex were in a car after a show we'd been booked for, which wasn't like one of the shows we'd usually go to. And it'd gone badly and Skep was praying on stage. It was peak. It was peak. It was sound <laughs> It was saying like this repeating this one, like, no enemy will prevail. Like I was like, wow. Okay, baby, let's keep it. Powerful let's... prayers. I was like, I remember sitting in a car after that and it was like, no, 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 no. We've got to do our own thing here. We've got to do our own shows. We've got to do our own things and I remember like you thinking yeah that was like the end of 2016 and I was like, absolutely we have to because I was like we need things to work seamlessly what skills are we bringing how are we showing people how they can do shows especially younger people how are we showing people how to do you know what I mean it doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing you don't have to have tables at the front like there's new ways to do stuff and we have expertise through production how do we bring them to the territory and then we said it and then you know actually greatness Dex shout out to him forever coined the name homecoming he's the king of phrases like he has he's coined that he's coined greatness only he's coined the together we push 
some of the best and most important statements ever like and um anyway that was just pause and no one spoke about it again then like we were like you know we got booked for getting booked for more, more shows he'd been booked for the native land show and that went really well it was him Huss, some other people and they had the best time so i was like okay cool maybe this is a moment where we can think about bringing our thing to life again and we can just like you know connect or in the pillars that we care about music fashion art you know culture it's not just about music it's more than that so it's cool all right cool we're going to do this show that's how people saw homecoming it's a show and I was like, I want this show to run seamlessly and I want it to be a playlist and I want to bring people there. And I don't want it to be a show that is like any hierarchy because the values to me are so important. Like you want to, you want to like you, that hierarchy in Africa in general is so detri detrimental to the people progressing, you know? So I was like, we did a playlist. Wizkid might start it, he might end it. The show is going to start on time. Like all these things that are very basic, but it was like, no, if we're going to do our thing is about these things, the production, we're going to invest in the production. I think that those things kind of helped shift a few things in the territory. Like people's production was like, you know, improving, like, pe you know, like the shows were, people were sometimes starting and not like six hours late, three hours, you know, like just little improvements. But the hierarchy thing is that, that format of a show means that you just get an excitement in that three hours, you know, it's not like you're dragged out. And I don't even like long shows anyway. I want to see the hits. I want to see the highlights. I want to know what's good. And everyone had to perform without a backing track, you know, by the, by the second homecoming, because at the first one, everyone was just playing the music. And we're like, no, this is not okay. You need to learn how to perform your song like, without the track playing. Because in, if you get booked for Coachella, there's no playing your, you know, your full track in the back as a PA mix. So, there's a lot of things that were so important, but to me, it was really about the community exchange, bringing people home. Bringing people home was the key part of that. You want people to come home and have an entry point because it is scary. It is scary. You don't know where to start. You, you're, sometimes you're built around your parents' trauma, your parents' relationship with Nigeria, your parents' relationship with Africa, you know, like, and that affects your relationship. But we wanted an entry point. You could just come you like music, you like fashion, you like art, you're going to connect it and see and feel inspired around what's happening in the territory. And then when you leave, you've got a starting point. And I think that was really key. I think now for me, it's really about education. That's cool. That's the advert for this, this creativity or this moment that is really, really important. But now we need to make sure that we invest in education because we want to make sure that the people in the continent benefit from the way that the culture around it has exploded. Now, how does that become beneficial to people in market? You know, every label, everyone's running to, to, to Africa. Nigeria at the center point because it has the biggest growth potential. It's going to make the, the most revenue for the, for the continent eventually. So how do the people at home benefit? And we need to educate to allow that to happen successfully. And that's really where everything's going to shift for me for that festival it's going to be like this is an educational hub and we bring people in to connect and amplify that so that's a really really long story
<laughs> not sure. No, but I think it's no. I think it's important what you what, and some of the things that I really wanted to um to, to discuss with you actually was that key thing that you said about your parents' trauma with Africa because I remember like when I first started going back to Nigeria, it's usually to do with death. Someone passes away, you know, you have to go back. You, and mine was my granddad passed away. My granddad had lived an amazing life. He was ninety six years old. He was like literally like my mom's like my granddad's daughter, like life and soul of the party, just jazz raz, but. I, again, I think it was always installed of me that our oh, Nigeria is not safe. You know, um, if you didn't get these grades, your mum would be threatening you that she was going to send you back. Or like, it was just always fear that was associated with my with my history. Anyway, my story of Nigeria was a lot of fear. And um, I want to tell everyone like a really funny story because it was actually when you went for that festival for Native Land of Sket. Um, and it was around that Christmas time and my mum was actually in Nigeria at the time and Grace was like FaceTiming me like, oh my God, I, Lagos is so sick. And I was like, really? Because obviously all the times that I had been, I'd been with my mum or I go straight to the village. I'm not really with my peers. It's always around surrounding my family. And I'm not saying that that's not great because obviously understanding who I am and, exp and exploring my heritage was really important. But again, it wasn't the same ginger that I was seeing that these guys were enjoying. So I remember Grace FaceTiming me being like, oh, I'm saving this whole this boutique hotel it's only got like 20 rooms like it's Mason Fahrenheit I think it was at the time and you know you were just like it's just so fun why are you not here I remember you just kept saying to me you need to be here why are you not here why are you not here so I was like oh shall I enter can I enter and I remember like having that responsibility because my mum wasn't here like obviously with my brothers and sisters at Christmas I was like a bit in a you know thinking shall I go shall I not go so I thought you know what let me do Christmas with my family my brothers and sisters make sure that they're all good and then I'll come out after now I think you FaceTime me and then Skip FaceTime me on Christmas Eve and he was like how far in it like what's good why are you not here with us like we need to explore this journey as a unit like we need to push like so I was like okay let's be going in there I remember 27th I flew out I was with you, um, and I think we moved to your sister's place, and it was just me and you in your sister's apartment. But just having that, you know, understanding of just like, ex like going to Nigeria for the first time by myself. Mm. And, and it was scary. Like, when you get to the airport, it's very overwhelming. Like, but now we can just go out of breeze now. Now that we've done it 10, 15, 20 times, it's nothing. But just that initial fear that, like, it's, it's been installed in you and it's like you're reacting with fear. And I feel like one thing about the understanding that feeling of, like, when I go to Nigeria, I can completely understand because I really feel like I'm home. Like, I feel like, yeah, I've landed. And, and I, through that diaspora kind of conversation, we, we talk about this a lot because sometimes I think living in the UK, you know, especially with everything that's been going on recently, you kind of get told to oh, go back to where you come from. You know, you always made to feel like you don't actually really belong here. But then sometimes when you go back to Nigeria, it's just like you're seen as the Western, you're English, you know. So it's like we kind of, especially for our generation of a lot of us where our parents have kind of moved and we're kind of returning home, we fit into this really weird narrative of just like, okay, we don't really belong here, but we also don't really belong here. So where do we belong? what's our identity what can we relate to and I feel like you kind of created something that was really unique within that space of just this cultural exchange you don't have to be this or either or either like you could just be you know and I think one thing that I really wanted to talk about with you with homecoming because I feel like don't quote me anybody but to my best of my knowledge you might be one of the only females that I know that owns her own festival Mm. And I don't feel like you get enough creditation for that because I think people always feel like it's easy and 
even me, I was guilty to a certain extent of when I first started coming with Grace back home and just not seeing so much of the work because we kind of put out the highlights and, you know, we kind of show everyone, oh, we're having an amazing time. We're doing, Grace has got this sick festival that we all fly back to, but just even the sheer understanding of how Nigeria works as a place. And I don't think until I had to go and do Lagos Fashion Week and show my collection there, I didn't really understand how hard it was to work in Nigeria. So I give my hats off to you because even me, I was very naive. When I was coming for homecoming, everything's kind of done. You send me my flight, my hotel's booked, I get to the airport, the car's there. You know, it's just, just an enjoyment. But actually, do you know how hard it is to have anything operating like cohesively in Nigeria? And until, like, when I showed at Lagos Fashion Week, I'm going to be honest with you, that shit nearly broke me. That shit nearly destroyed me because it was so... It's so naive for you to go there and just think that things could just happen. Like, you know, it just doesn't work that way. You have to allow time for things to to organically come together. It isn't something you just go and click your fingers and overnight things just happen. It doesn't work like that, you know? So I definitely want to, you know, say how important it was and how, how thankful I am for you for even showing me that side of Nigeria. But even just like before we started working out there, just having that time to just you know, understand the culture, like go to Alara, go to Knock and hang out with Wiz and just like get to know it, like get to understand each other. I think we've spent so many Christmases and started our new year together and we'll get a little bit deep with it. Like just uh, when that countdown happens, and mm. I don't think people sometimes understand the power and the importance of who you bring the new year in with. And there's maybe been, I think, three or four new years that I've done it with you, Wiz and Skep. And just even having that unity together and just being able to cheers and celebrate with each other, but understand that it runs deeper than social media, it runs deeper than um, platforming or networking and building your organic network, all of that jazz, but just who you surround yourself with is also a real representation of your character, but also a real representation of who you wanna be and how you see yourself, where yeah. you see yourself going. And I think for us, the importance of what I learned from you guys, which is kind of flipping it on its head, is just that you guys always empower, empower me to make me feel like anything's possible. As long as I've got the right people, and I know it's probably going to get a bit deep, I can feel one or two tears coming into my eyes. But, you know, just sometimes, um, and this is something that we kind of spoke about, touched upon it, of just this frenemy situation of having people around you that always sometimes don't actually want you to do well. And I think one thing that you've always showed me, and you would say this to me constantly, is what's the business? What is the business? When I come to you with an idea or grace, some, some, this is an opportunity or this, sometimes you can kind of get lost in the wave and you always, always kind of ground me and bring me back. And that's why I was like, it was so important for me to share this discussion with, with everybody but also to talk about our depth of our friendship because it runs deeper than anything circles level like you push me on a spiritual level you push me on a friendship level you push me like we're family it runs deeper than any of those surface level things but I think it's important to note that you people that you surround yourself can build you but can also break you mm -hmm. and not necessarily that just because you're not moving at the same time that doesn't mean that that's less of a friendship there's people that you can have friendships with that you don't speak to every day they don't have to be your BFFs you don't have to hang out with them every day but you know that your values and your characters align with each other and I think that that's something that's really important and I think one thing that was kind of even me watching you as a woman grow and like when we were together um, at the beginning of this year we were together in LA together and we spent a lot of time together just talking about business and relationships and friendships and 
I think it's important to also celebrate your friend's accolade. So I'm going to give Grace her accolade because I don't know very many, many females that have their own festivals that are able to bring over 50 to 60 people at a time to a country that doesn't function like a normal way a country should function, but also is able to understand the importance of a cultural exchange and the importance of understanding your heritage. So I'm going to give you your dinner, Grace, for that accolade, but also to tell you that I love you and I appreciate you and what you mean to me is greater than anything that I can describe in words but the friendship that we have with each other is greater than anything that I can explain in words and I know like sometimes within these platforms especially when it comes to social media a lot of things is highlighted in a way when people don't really see the work that kind of goes behind it and you touched upon it a little bit earlier in talking about legacy um something I really wanted to ask you is about what would you kind of want your story around homecoming and we can go on to kind of talk about the metallic fun but like what would you kind of want your legacy to be and what do you kind of want that to kind of stand for in the years to come first of all thank you so much it means so much coming from you because you know the truth and you know the journey and like I remember the last homecoming I was on the phone crying to you saying I can't do it I can't do this Erin it's not possible everything's going wrong this is going on these people have turned against me etc 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 and there's so many challenges in general in life but without friends that you can count on like family you you know sometimes you can get lost and you have to like accept that things will change and i think that accepting that and accepting that people will change and things will change and like i always know that as soon as you put yourself in the limelight you are the focus of scrutiny Everyone that was with you before, and if it's going well now, might turn against you. You have to be open to the struggle and the reality of doing something that hasn't been done. You are, you are, you are technically building off everyone's insecurities because at some point, you're not the first person with the idea. Maybe you're the first person to do it. So everyone that thought that that's what they wanted to do that didn't get round to it is now you're a target for. And I think that without you, I don't even know if I would have got through the last one. And like, you know, you, you're my first port of call. We're going to talk about like some real shit in a second, but you are so important to me in terms of like someone that I can always talk to and just get a real talk answer from. I was listening today about your friends won't tell you what you want to, will only tell you what you want to hear. You will not. You will tell me everything I don't want to hear. When I've been in, you, you, I have secrets with no one else knows because I know that if I tell you everything I don't want to hear is there and it will protect me from making that same mistake again or it will protect me from, you know, like not feeling alone or whatever it is. And I, and I, and I love you for that. I love you for being so important to me. And I, you know, as you said, you laid it up perfectly. But back to homecoming, I think for me, why it's such a sensitive top topic is because to me it's real that's the realest project i do it's about empowerment it's about economical independence it's about education equality cultural exchange creativity platforming so this is not financially viable things i make it i've invested hundreds of thousands of pounds of my own money into this festival no one else has put money into their personal money into it but me I've, i'm in a sense in a huge debt to homecoming <laughs> But to me, that is a start of something. It's bigger than it's bigger than the finances around it. That's never been the priority. What do I want the legacy to be? I want the legacy to be that we promoted those values and they had real change in the continent. 
if that happens, if people become more empowered, if people become more economically independent, if people are platformed to greatness, if, if equality becomes realer because we know it is not equal, especially for women in Nigeria. So me as a woman doing something allows loads of other women to do it. And even when I accepted my MBE, I only accepted that because I spoke to Aisad, I am anti-royal. I don't care about the royal family or the monarchy in any way as a relevant way of running a country. I also do not believe in, in the way that Great Britain has technically colonized the whole continent equally. People could say it's contradictory that I took it, which is fine, and I'll take that L. But for me, there are people that have messaged me saying that I showed you to my parents saying there's a way to be creative. I've shown you as a way forward for me and a lot of women, I could say hundreds of women have messaged me that. So to me, when I spoke to Aside, one of my biggest mentors about it, he said to me, Grace, you shouldn't take the MBE. I wouldn't, nor would you, but you have to. You have to take the L. You have to do it for us. And I was like, wow, for this person to basically tell me that I have to contradict myself just for the greater good of being an example. And I think that that's what that, edu that, that generation of Nigerian parents need. They need examples that are out of the box. So you have to deliver, do you know what I mean? An example to them that they can understand. And, and that's what that was. And that's why the festival is so important because it allowed me to work on the values that I care about, but also getting the respect from all generations because of what I'd already done in my life, you know? And I don't think there are many women doing festivals, especially not in Africa, which is a, a, a really challenging place to work. But I always say, like, as long as you do it with excellence, you can just do your best. Just do, do your best. Don't come and kill yourself. You can't. You know, like, I'm so lucky that we've had people like Santi, Adunsi, Rama, Jay Haas, DRB, Wiz, David, Tiwa, Skep, Shoma Josie, you know, Pretty Boy Dio, so many and many, many more people part of our festival and those are my proudest moments because I, I feel those energies. I remember Rama's first show was Homecoming. Nobody had seen Rama without a mask before that day and like that propelled him to A-side who played at, him at Paris Fashion Week and then now did it, you know, just it's a knock-on effect that the way that culture can resonate globally if you curate it in the right way, if you bring the right people mm. together to promote stuff like and that doesn't always work. And there's so many great things happening in the continent. I love Giddy Fest. I think it's an incredible festival. I love Native Land. I think it's an incredible festival. There are so many great things happening in the continent. This is not to say that they don't, they're not important. This is just a different direction. And as I said, it's going to go into education. We're bringing a fashion element. We're bringing a collaboration. We've got 20 Nigerian stockists stocked in browns this, 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 this year. To me, that's a start. That's a start, which I felt like, what is Arise doing? What is Lagos Fashion Week not doing that we can do? That's the bit I care about. Let's platform mm. people, give them something to, you know, really support their business. Otherwise, it's just a, it's just a vanity project. Do you get what I mean? So, mm -hmm. Yeah, the legacy is really about making sure that, you know, that the values of the festival resonate and people use it as a platform to, you know, just like push on that i'm going to support anyone that connects to any of those values i'm always here i speak to artists all the time I'm, i don't know how i have so many hours in the day to like provide the services i fucking provide to the whole community but i will try my best i'm not perfect 
am not perfect. I only have a limited time. I may not reply to you. It's not nothing to do with you. It's to do with me. I didn't get through my message. You should still continue doing. It's not nothing is gonna as a shun. It's really like you just have to accept that there's one. There's only one of me, and I will try my best, and that's all I'll do. I think being successful, being a successful woman in business, can be really tough. And I know you always say to me, "Eyes, what's the business?" That I've had to really learn um, in a way that I can. Um, grow on a uh, uh, just in communication as well in the business realm because I think like going back to what you said a lot of us are kind of surviving and we want to thrive we want to thrive because we've been thrusted into a environment that uh, and many of our parents didn't come here to they didn't think one probably didn't even think they were going to be here this long you know for them it was just how do I survive how do I make money how do I keep it moving send money back home just uh-huh. enough to survive just enough to survive whereas there's a lot of us that actually we're out of that survival mentality we're not just here to survive we're here to thrive you know uh-huh. so i think it's important for us as as women as well to maybe discuss some of the things that we've learned through business um and maybe some tips if there's any tips that you could give um just on a business level and um, you know that have you think that you okay if someone had told me this maybe when i had started i think one for me was the ability to listen more than I talk. That's mm. something that has been really important and something that I've only like maybe in the last couple of years had to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Julia had spoken about it a lot on her on, on her broadcasting episode of the podcast, but just being able to listen, mm. um, digest, think, process, then speak and not always be so reactive is something that I've learned. Mm. Can you share with us some, some of the tips maybe that you've learned? It's tough, Irene, I'm not going to lie. And I just feel like this year is the year that I really learned about business. And as much as people think that, you know, I'm successful, I'm learning. I'm, I'm still at maybe 2% of where I want to be. I'm, I'm disappointed in so many things. I'm constantly trying to push. So I can say from what I've learned specifically now is that, you know, first of all, you have to build your character. Your character has to be strong. It's not easy to build your character, to make yourself the best person you can be. You have to confront your past and your present. All the things that are tests to your character, which is what, as a woman, you will be judged on. And I had this good conversation with Sharma the other day. It's like, why do women's social media have to be part of their marketing for their brand or their product when men's don't? Like, why is that? Do you know what I mean? Is that fair? Why does Sharma have to be the ambassador for beauty stack as well as the founder? Do you know what I mean? You know, is Jeff doing that for Amazon? No. Mm. Do you get what I mean? So it's like we have so much to do. So your character has to be bulletproof and you have to know yourself. Know thyself, the best advice I can give because you have to be able to, you know, hold those bullets that are going to be pounded at you. Secondly, find your purpose. It has to be a really clear purpose. And the purpose and is really linked to the USP. That's the bit of the business that should survive no matter what because it's linked to a value or a thing that is bigger than the business itself. My purpose is, you know, what am I contributing to the continent of Africa? So any project that I do has to re- reflect that. What am I contributing to black ownership? Anything has to reflect that. Do you know what I mean? It's like purpose is value. So any of my businesses could constantly involve. I think that we spoke about it before, like that isolation, solitude moment, because you need to learn to be alone because you're going to, a lot of this journey will be by yourself and you will have people that will support you and you'll have people around you, but a lot of it will be spent alone. So you need to be comfortable in that space and like know yourself in that space. I think listening is so key and I would advise mentorship. 
I think mentorship is so important because my plan get, got ripped apart by my mentor. He said, this is, what are you talking about? This is not it, Grace. Like, you just, yeah, I know who you are. You're talking about yourself there. What's the business? I ain't seen that in, the, in this plan properly to, you know, and I was like, I needed to listen, take that in so I can get to the next step. So I need people around me that can help me do that. If you are only the smartest person in the room and you're always a person that everyone comes to, you are not growing and developing. It's sometimes best to, to be the least smart person in the room. Do you know what I mean? Because you know what you can do? You can use those people to understand stuff. And when we talk about black ownership and the black conversation is so key now, your mentors don't all have to be black. It's like, you need, we need to learn about privilege. We need to learn about ownership. We need to learn about these factors. And they don't exist in our culture and our community as prolifically as they do in others. So you can learn from people and they'll be more open to sharing that with you. So learn and listen, you know. And also to add to that, I think that it's really, really important to make sure that, you know, you know that you have some, and you said that flexibility, it's like, it's not going to be perfect. It will not be perfect. You will not start it and it's going to be exactly how you wanted it to be. You need to start though. So be open to that and be open to it molding and evolving and developing into what it should be. You don't know. We're just trying. You don't know what's going to work. You have to be flexible. You have to be flexible to trends. You have to be flexible to the climate. You have to be flexible on every level for it to, to grow into what you want it to be. And I think that it's really, really important that you take that on board as a key learning. Like for me, I, I, I was that. I think that there's some things that I didn't do. I only got a mentor this year. I needed, I should, if I had done that five years ago, I probably would be five years ahead, you know? So those are some key things that I'd say off the top of my head. I think are really important but I think it's also important to know that we don't have all the answers either you know mm. and like you said a lot of us we're still learning like we're still doing that transition of coming out of survival mode into thrival mode you know so there is so much stuff that we still have to learn and accepting within ourselves so I want to kind of go into like just you and friendship and you know we touched upon it briefly but I think something that a lot of that we get asked both of us a lot is, oh my god you and Grace have been friends for so long or you know how people always ask me at panels or at events like you know how how do you successfully work with your friends and there's been times when we've had to work together or work cohesively on projects um let's just maybe to have a little bit of a discussion on that because I think it's important to kind of note the importance of how you separate boundaries because listen when it comes to working with your friends you know that can really make or break a friendship you have to really really make sure that the trust is there one and two that you can have that transparent conversation because there's no you can't you, there's no room for bullshit there's no room for anything you're you're in business you need to be transparent and you need to have the trust when it's going good and when it's going bad i'd say that two of the biggest things that people fall out over are money and credit getting a credit for the work or finances so if your business if you're not prepared to do that do not get into business with your friends because ultimately it could fail but there are times where it does work so i think that you need to be really clear on why you want to work together not like hey guys we've got this great idea let's do it together because we want to everyone has to be as invested and you might be just working with a friend just on a financial level or you might be on a creative level or 
whatever level it is you're working with them on, just make sure it's super clear from the outset. You know what the parameters are and you know how you're both contributing to it. Another thing that's really frustrating is when you think you're doing more than the friend is in the business and then you'll start being like, oh, the, the, the lazy, da 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 you be like, you know, like that, those things happen for real. So are you sure you want to do that? When you're working with a stranger or someone that is not a friend, you can just be like as more ruthless, you know? So be sure that you need the friend to make the business element work, not just because you think it's going to be fun, but because it is really valuable to the USP of the business. Because if not, try and find maybe someone that is not as close to you to work with, because then you can have a bit more of a work balance whereas you might not be as comfortable to do that with the friend. What do you think? I think that definitely it comes down to honesty as well, like like you said, and being transparent. And I think that that's something that's built over time as well and, and trust. And it also depends on your actual friendship because I definitely feel like there's levels to friendship. I think in this industry that we're in, the word friendship kind of gets overused. If, I, if I'm honest a little bit, I think a lot of us have a lot of acquaintances, but not necessarily friendships. And where the lines kind of sometimes get messed up is that one person sees it as a friendship, whereas to the other person's eyes, it's more of an acquaintance you know so I think it definitely comes with being honest and having those conversations but actually is your friendship in a place where you can actually be honest with each other to have those conversations and I feel like where we are we can just basically be like Grace or I mean I'm not feeling that or I'm so I think you definitely have to have that level of respect for each other but also have really don't always agree and I think that that's also important like we can have that conversation and not agree and move forward not to cut you off but that's so key. Like, it's not like I'm crying because Irene didn't agree with me. It's like, I heard it. I, can't, I hear you. <laughs> Let's push. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and me, me and Grace always have the best conversations and the best debates actually when we're on planes. Like, so we always try and sit next to each other because Grace is a worker on the plane. But also, this is why I love friendship, yeah, because you know your friend. You just know your friends, innit? So when we get on a plane together, I know that Grace is going to, at one point, turn around and be like, okay, I, I need to, I just need to um, put my headphones on now because I need, like, maybe one or two hours. I need to get this work done so that when I get off the plane, I can just send all my emails. So I know that, okay, for two hours, Grace ain't going to talk to me. She's going to be invested in her laptop, yeah? So, you know, knowing your friends, knowing your friendship, but also knowing each other's behaviours, like, I know that sometimes because of the my personality, sometimes mm. it's difficult for people to feel like they can come to me straight away with things because they think, oh my God, how's Irene going to react? Or mm. I don't know if I'm ready to hear a zero to a hundred right now. So let me just, but you know, I think sometimes it's actually knowing each other's personalities and knowing each other. And when you understand each other, you just align with certain things, you know? And I think with us, what we've built over the years is definitely honesty. Mm. it's definitely our families are ingrained like grace calls my mom <laughs> my mom will call me and tell me grace has called her uh, why have you not called me where your friends are calling me um but i think friendship and family for us is very intertwined and i feel like that's why we've been able to almost have a, the friendship the unique friendship that we've had for so long um mm. a lot of people always ask us like how come you guys have been friends for so much or how come you guys are always together or you know, and I think I think there's a lot of things that you can learn in being able to, for your friendships and for your friends to see you 
for you. Like me and Grace have lived in a studio apartment together. I had, you know, when I first moved to New York, me and Grace weren't even friends, but we ended up by God's grace living across the road from each other, literally by coincidence. And I, it's a whole nother podcast episode, but I moved in and the guy was a crackhead and it was, went to shit. And Grace was like, come and stay with me. And Grace lived in a, in a, in a studio apartment, but literally across the road. And I feel like when you can be that intimate with someone or when you can really, that person can see you for who you are, then I think there's kind of no boundaries. And we have like a family relationship. We don't, like you said, we don't agree on everything. And, you know, we've had our times where we've fallen out and rebuilt and got back together and built those structures. But every time we rebuild it, we rebuild it stronger and bigger, bigger and better. And I think that that was something that was really important for me to kind of understand and speak about on here because I think people kind of see us and just be like, how, how, how does that, and I think Lagos for us was another cementing in yeah. just within that building block in that we kind of discovered that journey separately, but also together. And I feel yeah. like that was really important. I kind of wanted to move on a little bit and just to kind of round up on lifestyle. Like, mm. you know, I think you touched on upon it um, earlier on, like surrounding yourself with people who encourage you and who push you and take you out of your comfort zone. Um, what are kind of some of the things you've learned through friendships and through business as well, um, in the importance of that and how you kind of really make sure that you surround yourself with a really strong ecosystem? I think that, yeah, you've got different types of friends, so you need to accept them for who they are. Like some of your friends are going to be the friends that you just want to have a good time with, you want to go out with, you want to let loose with, you want to have dinner with, you want to talk about things that are not related to work. Then you have friends that have you know, a real 360 view of your life that you connect with on a deeper level. And I just think you need to be honest about what your friendships are so that they can serve you better and and you can develop them or dismiss them. (laughs) You know, like some friendships have come to their peak and they're going to become acquaintances. And that's cool as well. And I think that, you know, for me, like I'm so lucky to have like a lot of my friendships uh, in my workspace as well whether that be you or Skep or Alex, like a lot of my friends are able to almost be part of my whole life and help me get to the next step of anything, whether it be personal or professional. And I think that it's so interesting because a lot of people ask me how me and my partner got together. We were actually friends. We were friends and then that evolved into a relationship. So he can call me out on any of my bullshit because... He knows me. He's my friend. I was never, I didn't go on a date and have to look cute or whatever. I was seeing him when I, in my headscarf, all of that when I was his friend. You know, I don't care. So he knows me in a more transparent way than maybe other people, you know, like other relationships. So friendship is a start of, like has been the start of a lot of my important relationships. Me and you as family started as friends. Me and Skep as work partners started as friends. Me and Alex's work partners started as friends. Me and my actual partner started as friends. So those friendships are deep to me. I don't have a lot of friends, I'd say. I wouldn't say I've got tons of friends, but my friends are important to me. And I will invest in them and I can be a better friend, but I will try my best. Then you understand what an acquaintance is. An acquaintance is someone that you can have a good time together, but they're not necessarily the person that is your ride or die. You have to invest in more than what it is. And just separating those two things can really, really help you not feel disappointed in each other. Do you know what I mean? And like being super clear about that, like love hanging out with you, da 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 da, but it's not that. We're not there. Like I'm not 
you know, I, I, I had the worst thing happen to me last year. I obviously miscarried my first child and that was so traumatic for me. But who was there with me? You. Yeah, it's just being clear about it and just really like making sure that you and your friends like just invest in each other and have the best time at life together. You know, also work is one thing, but having a, I have some of my best memories built with you and like some of my best friends and, and that's so important to me. Travel is so important to me. I travel all the time with my friends and I say that travel will make or break friendships too, <laughs> as you know. So traveling with your friends like looks long-term life memories, like, Try to do it. Uh, encourage it more than anything. Travel is your biggest luxury. I know it's been locked off this year, but travel, not being able to travel has made me feel suppressed in so many ways. Like I need travel to feel inspired and feel connected and feel part of the world and the universe. And if I can do that with my friends, it's so key to me because I, I can't wait to tell the stories to my children about my life and it's going to have all these great people in it. So, yeah. So what's next, Ladoja? <laughs> oh my what's god. What's next? Irene, there's a lot, there's a lot that that we have to do. I just I think that this year, this turbulent year has made me realise that we do a lot of great stuff. I'd say that for you as well. But now we need to do it with a clear intention and also be held accountable for what we wanna, you know, like what we want our receipts for that to be. So it's great that we've done all this stuff, but I'm like, I've helped a lot of people in my life, but no real receipts, I can't really prove or whatever. Like, how can I be more intentional in my actions? So I, I've tried to include that in my business model. So as a business, we're gonna develop and the talent will become really prolific in the music space. That's the next step for it. But also open up and opening up and setting up in Nigeria, in Lagos. I have to be there to, be the change I want to see do you know what I mean so if I'm talking about education and like all of that I need to be there to do that I can't do it from here so almost like London is the head and Lagos is the heart and that's actually how I feel about it um but more relevant to this month is we're going to do homecoming digital edition and I'm super excited because I finally finished that plan and like I think it's so important to like just make sure we keep the momentum of the energy we've built and keep it going. And like, we're going to have, like, as I said to you before, it's going to be the 26th to the 30th of this uh, August. It's hot, so we're going to have a lot of discussions. We're going to have a lot of panel discussions. We're going to have like bite-sized um, uh, information that people can review after like A to Zs and one to tens, just with tips and advice. And then we're also going to, most importantly, launch a fund like we have for Metallic Fund for Homecoming. So we're going to make sure that our community in Nigeria are also supported during this time. Because I think it's even tougher in Nigeria for creatives right now because all of the work that they would have got from people coming and you know all of the events that allow them, whether it be Native or Homecoming or Kitty Fest or Lagos Fashion Week or Rise, so we need to make sure that there's space for them to still survive and flourish during this time so that is that but i've just finished my business plan for metallic and i will share that with you guys like as soon as that's done as i said like my main thing is about being transparent this year like i really want a level of transparency so we can all learn from each other and like as soon as i'm i'm not going to make things look easy i think that's my biggest weak that's my biggest weakness 
as you said, like just making sure that it's transparent, you know, what was good, what happened, what didn't happen, you know, what the plan was, what, you know, like all of these things we're going to share in a much more transparent way. So I think I'm just excited for like connecting with like our community in a realer way and like making sure we are the change we want to see in this racial conversation. Like I have to be the example before I tell anyone how to do it, you know, like have to do it myself. So yeah, like I'm really, really excited for the next steps. And yeah, that's it. I'm um, so thank you. That's all I can say. We've cried, we've laughed. <laughs> There's been tears on this podcast episode. There's been laughter on this episode. But I think f- fundamentally, what it kind of boils down to is that you know success is is limited. I think one thing that we've both kind of learned over the time is you have to really enjoy your life. We've lost people that are super important to us, and we understand that fundamentally. Um, no time is the most important factor because it's never promised it's the one thing that's not promised to us and I think that if we can continue to be like you said the change that we want to see but also just growing and understanding that we're going to create some amazing memories together separately come together and share those experiences or things that we've learned together um, separately but I think I'm excited to continue the next chapter um, with you by my side Gracie um, and I'm excited um, for your next chapter and to be uh, you know to continue that journey with you and to continue to learn and grow with you um, so yeah I want to just thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving me your time today and dropping some of those gems um and yeah so if anybody wants to kind of follow you on socials or connect with you what's the best social media um app for them to to reach you on first of all thank you irene for this platform for this platform and i didn't even talk about all the other amazing podcasts that you've done from you know the the tips i spoke to julie about the other day that you know i learned on her podcast to like you know twigs this fibroid story which i've also experienced that are so important for women to understand and acknowledge like how much we have to deal with and how much is going on with us and I think you've given us all a safe space to be ourselves and talk openly and like you know no one is perfect but you've allowed us to feel strong in our in where we've got to and how far we've come and I I just can't thank you enough like I'm so excited I'm here for you forever like I can't wait to be part of like your next steps and I think that this is the next opening chapter for a lot of us so we're gonna we're going through it powered up now we are on another level Mm. of power and you know we've improved on so many levels we are tougher than we've ever been we are ready for everything that we're about to conquer and and I feel excited that I'm with you and have you by my side every step of the way and I thank you so much I can be found at at Grace Ladoja (laughs) give them the Nigel one Show them the Nigel one. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because we were talking about social media, which I'm really share. Um, but I still feel like now, hopefully, you know, half, half of it comes with confidence. And, you know, you think people are really confident and you think that they're like, you know, I mean, I know I've got good style. I know like all these things, but it doesn't mean that I'm confident about like being online and talking about everything and talking every day. But I, my vow is to be more tr- transparent. That's what you will get from me from social media. You might not be like, I might, I'm not that person. That's why you have different people in your, in your lives that can be all the parts of you that you don't, you're not, but I will have more confidence to be transparent online and tell people the truth, the motherfucking truth, Irene. The <laughs> motherfucking we- truth. And on that note, guys, we out. Um, thank you for listening like love subscribe all of that good stuff share this with your girl gang
I'm telling you, this is an important episode to me. So share it out there and give us a signal. We out. Thanks, guys. TTYA Talks, the podcast.